leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays. I am back. Thank you, James Azar, for taking over for me last week, sitting in the chair, in the big chair. <laughs> so difficult, so difficult. It's, it's Big hard. shoes to fill. I didn't do you justice. I'm so glad it's you're hard. back. It's hard being me, but you were awesome. <laughs> I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome people, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. We have a phenomenal lineup for today. So we are going to go around and our special guest is going to be the last person to introduce himself. So I'm going to go around to Naomi Buckwalter first. Hey, what's up? What's up, security peeps? Renee, welcome back. Um, James did, I think, a great job. Um, so I would say this week has been really good. I heard from two or three other people that I've been talking to, helping try to get jobs. And each one of them have gotten not only interviews, multiple interviews, but job offers. So it's happening. Things are happening. I'm so excited. I haven't reported it yet, Chris, so don't worry. That 221 will happen. <laughs> We're going to meet that goal. Yes. It will continue to go up. Awesome, awesome, awesome. James Azar. Shalom from Israel. From How are Israel. There's um, no missiles or war. It's, it's good news. I was at the beach. Can you guys tell from the color? I'm getting tan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I show you pictures of the beach, you guys <laughs> just be so jealous. We um, will be jealous, that's for sure. Yeah, Chris Folo, my brother from another mother. Howdy, everyone! Cybersecurity consultant and career coach uh, here to help you all. And Look. our special guest today, Alan Gwynn. I I can't get over Chris's glasses. Those are probably the coolest glasses I've seen. Very, very cute. I, I'm from the Matrix, so <laughs> he's been right, called so, all kinds of things with those glasses. <laughs> Matt Murdock, Matrix, everything. So I'd like to I would like to introduce myself. As most of you know, in the past week I've been sort of like a relative unknown in this area. <laughs> you blew up. Waiting, I'm waiting for the drum roll, right? <laughs> You're famous now. <laughs> so, so before this podcast, I was a professor, uh, and I teach primarily business undergraduates. So, uh, and and I teach a lot of them. Uh, have about uh, have about 180 students a semester is pretty common for me. So it's uh, it's a uh, it's it's pretty big course, and uh, so obviously I posted. Uh, an editorial to the Hill. And if if I could have gone back and wordsmith, that I probably would, because I think there probably needs to be a little bit of context around it. Uh, I 
do want to lead off and say that I know some incredibly talented people who work in the information security area. There are people that have it in their DNA, and I think that's probably a requirement for being in that in that industry. But I also know some people who are paper credentialed. Uh, they, you know, hey, it sounds like better than doing what I was doing before, you know, and I can get an impressive title and these sorts of things. So uh, I, I know people at, at both end of the spectrum. And, uh, and to just be clear on something, no, you should not go fire your entire information security staff because two people share passwords. Okay, so I think I, I think that's important to say based on some of the some of the comments I got, which, quite frankly, it, I, it really, it was really unexpected. I did not expect the level of vitriol and personal attacks. Uh, so I. I, I've, uh, you know, I've had a, I've had CEO or I've had a CEO reach out to me and let me know how horrified he was at the comment uh, or at a comment posted by his CISO. Uh, and uh, I've had, of course, a tremendous number of people reach out to me kind of privately saying, uh, you know, I, I thought you had some good points, but I didn't want to wade into, wade into, wade into the vitriol. But anyway, that's that's yeah. me. So, Alan, I want before you even go any further, I wanted to do two things. One, thank you so much for being here um, to talk about this discussion. The reason why we love having this show is because we often disagree. And at the end of the show, we're still all friends and we don't call each other names and we can be adults. And, you know, I just want to set the stage and say, you know, this discussion today is all about sharing opinions. And um, if anyone who else is going to come in, as people start coming in, I'll talk about it um, over and over again. We're going to keep it completely professional, you know, sharing opinions, sharing your facts and um, having some really great dialogue, which at the end, even though the the the. Um, the discussion around the Hill article, um, you know, became this big blow up. The one positive thing I can say I, I took away from that is that there was some real, really good dialogue in, in between all of that. So I just wanted to um, to share that. And I know James and Naomi had a really good talk about it last week um, when unfortunately you couldn't, you know, participate. So there were a lot of there were a lot of people calling, you know calling in <laughs> a lot of people you know making comments um chiming in and so we hope to have a really good dialogue today but i just wanted to let everyone know that you know no craziness going on on this show <laughs> i will not post the comments if they come up and you know they are are uh spewing that kind of um the kind of things that you saw some of the some of the comments that you saw online so a couple of people are here. I want to shout them out before we get into it. Uh, Jonathan says, hello, ladies and gen gentlemen. Good afternoon, which is great. Uh, Nathan is saying, what's the buzz? Nathan was on with us last year, last night when I had a show last night. Um, I'm fairly new to this industry. I have experienced so much nonsense already. It's not even funny. Mm -hmm. So 
Welcome to the sh- welcome to the show. Yeah, it's, it's definitely <laughs> not it's not just cybersecurity though. It can be like basically any topic that isn't inside the the narrative that's currently in the you know that's PC in the social world. Like so, I made a post maybe last week that was not taking taken well by like anyone, but I experienced some discrimination not from myself, but I experienced discrimination um, when someone else mentioned something about white men and I stood up for it and I said, Hey, I don't feel comfortable with that. And I posted that, you know, of course I always do those hot takes. I posted it on LinkedIn and like, I had a bunch of people try to cancel me because I was like, this is discrimination. Why can't I call it out for what it is? Uh, and I realized it's just the inability to have a respectful discussion on sharing opinions. And that's why I reached out to you, Alan, because I've been there and I'm so sorry, but that should not have happened to you. Oh, you got know. canceled. They no, I didn't get canceled, but it's well, one of those. You can't like, cancel someone who doesn't want to be canceled. You can't cancel and I think Naomi that's the one Walter. thing. You don't give an inch. You don't give an inch that's to cancel. That's true. Culture. But now I have to be more careful because, like, what if my workplace now thinks it's a little bit of a liability to have Naomi talk about, you know, anti-discrimination or whatever. So that's basically what I was doing. like, I experienced this. I'm pretty sure this is wrong. Let me write about it, right? Let me process so myself. So add on your profile. All posts on my profile are my own and don't reflect my yeah, employer. Yeah, I should say that, yeah. And 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 you're you're fine from a typical corporate um, social media perspective. Hmm. Um, because at that point, you're letting everyone know. I mean, I do that on a lot of the non-cyber shows that I do, like on the Tech Town Square or the other side of cyber, um, or when I'm hosted on other shows, I say like, I don't reflect my organization and any of my opinions that I share. They don't reflect my employer. They don't reflect mm. my organization. They're my own and mine to keep. And I think that's, that's, that's a fair, which is why I went to changing my organization back to confidential, confidential. Uh, yeah. because <laughs> my organization has a very strict social mm-hmm. policy. And for me to go through and get approvals for every single podcast that I'm on, um, it seems a little excessive. So um, I, I would rather just not represent them at all and just have my own views and opinions. Mm-hmm. Nathan said he got canned because he wasn't a cultural fit. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a shame that discourse has has sunk to the level that it has. Uh, I you know I as I say I I was very very surprised uh, at some of the responses. Now I did go back and read, so I sort of I sort of looked at what had been posted initially, and I went back and read, and a lot of the comments have been removed, and a lot of them edited, and things like that, kind of as the as the uh, I guess as the discourse sort of continued, it went from name calling into issues based, and that really is what I would expect from an industry of professionals because that's that's what I hope we're dealing with in the information security community. Nathan had a really good point uh, pointed out that it's not, and, and a lot of people pointed this out that this is multifaceted. Uh, it is not just people who are charged with information security. Uh, this, this, has, this has roots all the way through a corporation. One of the things that I've been kind of having uh, back and forth with another guy about is uh, what, what proportion of this 
is on senior management uh, and, and what role do senior management play in the context of information security. And there's another side of that is, and that's how do information security professionals convey the seriousness of something up the corporate ladder and, and not only that, but down to users. Uh, you know, culture is really important in the context of an enterprise, in the context of a firm. If you are an information security person and you're at odds with everybody, the CEO doesn't believe you, the users only see you when they've done something like clicked on a link that you sent them to see how many people were going to click on a phishing link, those kinds of things, and they make an association of only seeing you in a negative context, then you are not doing yourself any favors. You are encouraging people not to interact with you uh, and to keep a low profile, and even worse, if they do something dumb, to cover it up because they know if you find out about it or they tell you about it, that you're going to punish them. So these are these are issues that are are very very deep. It isn't as uh, you know, and and I I was guilty of this in the Hill article of making this sound like this is a simple issue, but it's not. There are a whole lot of people that are involved in this, and and uh, I you know the the key to it, as I say, is culture, collaboration and being able to work with people. The information security staff can't just be a department that says no to everything, because if you say no to everything, you encourage people to not involve you in decisions and to go around you, those sorts of things. And eventually it gets to a point where you have senior management having to mediate between your developers over here, your users over here, your information security department over here, and then you start getting into maybe not the most efficient outcome of decisions. So I agree, it's multifaceted, and there isn't just one answer. So, so Alan, Alan, I kind of wanted to understand something um, real quick because I've I've read your op-ed on the Hill multiple times, and um, w one of the things I kind of want to understand is the context of why you wrote what you wrote and what was going through your mind um, as you were writing it? Because I think that gives context to a lot of the stuff that, that that's in there. Sure. Um, a lot of what inspired me or what drove me to write that article had been building over time. So I, I do consult firms who have information security issues come up uh, and watch the decisions that are, that are being made not only by the information security staff, but, but by executive staff. Um, and in the past, you know, I've watched over the past year and a half as we keep doing the same things over and over and the problems really don't look like they're getting better. They look like they're they're increasing in frequency. So they're kind of trending the wrong direction. And then I have, you know, of course, there's there are a lot of things. I'd love to be able to pull out emails that go from 
one person to another and be able to put them up. <laughs> and like most people that are in this industry, I'm bound by confidentiality on a lot of these things. So, so I'll agree that there's a certain amount of frustration. There's a certain amount of, hey, we're going the wrong direction. Uh, and, uh, and it all, it all uh, came to a head in that article. The other thing is that I would love to have written a 5,000 word article instead of a 750 word uh, editorial, uh, which you know, probably didn't capture everything. I would have loved to explain a lot of what I wrote uh, in more detail. Did that answer the question? Or was that a perfect evasion to your, your question? No, no. To me, I, I totally get it. I think there's a lot of frustration. I think even, um, you know, I speak on, on, on behalf of myself, but, you know, as a practitioner, as a CISO, um, there's always frustration with, with programs and, and things we're trying to advance within our organizations where we don't get a buy-in or we get a lot of pushback or we don't get to do everything we want to do. Um, I'd also bring to note, something, Alan, that I think was was a little bit missed in the op-ed, which was the um, um, executive suite's view on cybersecurity, which is one of the bigger challenges because it's it's been for years been argued that compliance equals security. And unfortunately, that's not the case, but our budgets and the way our job performance is measured is whether or not I'm good on a SOC 2 report, right? Or whether my ISO certification pulls in. Um, and then they go, all right, you know, James is doing an excellent job. Let's give him a raise and give him a little bit more money. And you're like, that, that no, that we need a lot more. I don't want to raise. Um, I'm making just enough money. Thank you. But what I'd like to do is take that money and invest it more in my program so that I still have a job and a reputation when that day hits. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you get all of that. And then the next thing you make headline news because you've had a security breach or something like that, and you have information dumped on the dark web, these sorts of things. And you hit on something really important, James, and that is that sometimes it's communication with your CEO. It's communication with the C-suite. It's really important that they understand um, which you kind of have to fall back and go, well, they have to have an incentive to understand what's going on, right? A lot of times, and I've heard this from uh, executives across the board, that they don't understand what's going on. And it's not just information security. It can be in the context of the developers, any of the geeks. Uh, it's like we don't speak plainly in, in, in a language that somebody that's not a geek can really understand. And so consequently, if we can't impress upon them the importance of a correct decision, especially, and, and remember that a lot of times we're dealing with organizations that have experienced very poor advice. So you add that into the mix and there's some reticence and the CEO sits there and he just picks up the piece of paper and says, okay, so what you're telling me is that if I spend another quarter of a million dollars or a million dollars or $10 million or a billion dollars or however much it is that I'm not going to make headlines again. And we have a hard time convincing them that's the right way to go. 
you look around at other industries, you look around at large corporations that should be in the position to be able to properly fund things and, and arguably, uh, I'm, I'm certain that their information security specialists or professionals would argue, hey, we adhered to best practices. Well, what does that mean? Uh, it, do we use it as do we use it as justification for hey look in order to adhere to best practices you're going to have to write me a quarter of a million dollar check for this particular piece of software and the ceo looks at it and goes gee i'm not so sure about this why should i do that they don't understand the answers they don't understand the issues that we present to them and again, you couple that together with uh, maybe other people complaining about our staff. If the information security staff is isolated where people won't listen to them, then it doesn't really matter anyway. And, and there may not be an easy cure for that, uh, except to rotate staff members out so that you get a fresh face, right? Until again, the vicious cycle completes and the CEO suddenly doesn't understand this guy. You know, I've been having an argument. No, no, no. I've been having a discussion. Uh, argument's the wrong, wrong term. Uh, a discussion with a guy that thinks that we should just criminalize uh, behavior from a CEO that doesn't uh, agree with uh, their information security department. They make a recommendation. They say, hey, look, uh, this is the these are the things that are illegal and if you don't do this this would be illegal and i think that's the wrong approach to take uh on it well, i think that it really well really you're talking about ethics that's a different thing if something someone is doing something unethical there's whistleblower hotlines for that like you can report to a government yeah. agency for unethical behavior um i think criminalization is a topic that we can talk about but i i don't see a very fruitful conversation coming out from that because what I'm hearing from you, Alan, although I agree with you that at some point the CEO or whoever he or she is, they need to take responsibility. I think the focus should be more on the information security teams. We have to ask ourselves, why are we so bad at convincing business people to do the right things? I think it's us. I think we have poor people skills. I think we are terrible at talking to business folks. We don't understand the business. So why are we constantly blaming the executive team that we don't have a seat at the table? Um, it's because you don't even know what to do when you're at the table. Like we can give you a seat all day long, but you talk in mumbo jumbo. We don't even understand you. Why should we even talk to you? And right. the problem is with the tech folks, like the security people don't know how to speak the language of the business people. And whose fault is that? Is that the business folks problem? No, that's our problem. So I think if we wanted to seat at the table and we wanted to have the ear of the CEO and we wanted a budget, we need to improve ourselves, and that's the only way we'll ever get there. We need to work on ourselves. And I think your article kind of reflected on that a little bit, where you're like, we need to have more technical people. But in my way, it's more like we need technical people who can speak the language of the business, which is really where that whole diversity of thought comes in. And yes, that means more different kinds of people and different backgrounds and everything else, because the people we are talking to are all different kinds of people also. So if we have, if we're hiring for the same background, the same education, right, we're going to be hiring people just like us, no matter what skin color they are or gender, we're only hurting ourselves. We need people that think differently and who have the ability to speak to different types of people. Let's, let's, uh, let's even pivot this conversation even further. Let's take secure, the word security out of the conversation 
you go to the business and you go, this is the risk. This is, this is the problem that the business is looking to solve. These are the risks involved with the current business processes that you're using to approach your business problem. These are the risks involved. How do we go about solving this in the best way? Because it's the CEOs making a decision for the company, whichever way they see in their mind as being the, the best risk-based decision. And sometimes security prof professionals might not agree with it, but like Naomi said, it's about our ability to share that story in a way that they understand fully the risks that are involved in those decisions. And that goes throughout the culture, right? It, from the bottom, clicking on a phishing email, explaining to, to individuals your role in accounting, why are you a target, what what are the impacts of you clicking on a phishing email so that they understand from a grand scheme of things how they play into the whole risk equation, then they can make a risk-based decision on whether they ever do want to click on that email or not and have them become part of that story. And then it becomes more about safety and risk rather than information security or cybersecurity. So you bring a, you guys make all excellent points, but let's let's look at facts for just a moment. How many CISOs did they report to the CEO and have direct contact about decision-making for the risk of the organization every single day? Very few. Very, very few. In fact, it's, it's, we can count them on our fingers and uh, on, the, on, the, on our fingers and, and the toes on our feet of how many actually report to the CEO. So we have a challenge that's inherently uh, the idea that the people who we're speaking with are either people who technically in our role we're supposed to be auditing, right? A CIO. So a CIO isn't exactly going to take all the risk that exists within the IT infrastructure up to the CEO because, well, that's going to make him look bad because he made all those IT decisions, right? That's been his kind of cup of tea. And all of a sudden you're pointing out that he's kind of set up the kitchen in a way where it's not very optimal to put out the best food at the most ideal time frame for a client to be happy. The other part of it is we're, we're, we're you know, Naomi, you brought up an excellent point, which is, it's on us as CISOs to solve these problems and leverage the, the few opportunities we have when dealing with the higher-ups to really win it over. And part of that has to do with the fact that we don't have a standardized KPI format. So if I speak to a CMO today and I say, what's your KPIs? And I have 20 CMOs in a room, I'm going to get the same five common KPIs. Now, I did that at a roundtable last month in a room and I asked the CIOs, what are your key KPIs? And I got 100 different answers from 20 different people. So what does that tell you? It tells you that as an industry, we lack standardization. And in a one way that could be effective, but in another way, it's really hurting us because we're unable to get a message across to your organization. And then you've got what I like to call armchair quarterbacks, um, you know, sitting back and going, you know what security needs? It needs more of this and it needs more of that. And these are people who've never, you know, sat in a room and, 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 and handled an incident or uh, people who've been uh, selling and peddling snake oil for so long that they feel like if you only used me, all of your problems would be solved because you know what I do? 
I stopped the bad guys. And you're like, yeah, uh, you know, th- that to me is just absolute, you know, horseshit. And, and I'll stop there. So awesome discussion, everyone. A lot of comments here. So I'll go through a few. Night of Virtues says good afternoon. Um Marie had some good comments. If the corporation doesn't have buy-in on on keeping the network secure and safe, it can be really hard. That's when Alan was making his point um, earlier from the senior management to use this until something really bad happens. So that was around the discussion around the the budgets. Um, Nathan says it doesn't pay to be sincere in the corporate world. Uh, however, to do the job well, we need to be very honest and clear about the job of protecting information. Couple other points. Um, so far, again from Nathan, I have met at least three CEOs that jumped ship from being a private equity consultant most of their careers due to cyber. Wow. Um, Kareem is making a couple comments here. Well, Jeff said he's a, he agrees with you, Naomi. Um, this is when Naomi was making her point. And Kareen says, uh, but Naomi, isn't that the point of a CISO? And aren't they the leaders who can change the culture in security? That's a layered question. It really depends on where they sit in the org chart. Like you can, uh, I've seen CISOs report to like a VP of engineering. I've done that where it's just mm-hmm. a complete conflict of interest and you're trying to change culture. And at the same time, like availability will usually win. So you're not, you're never going to get that same voice as if you were to report to it a little bit higher or if you were given more responsibility and more ability to do your job. It, it just comes down to, I think, the org chart, honestly. Um, but it also comes down to your your uh, personality. as a leader. How many CISOs, though, do you know are okay with being Behind the VP of engineering oh, and just hiding in the shadows. No, no, not me. I would never, you can't, never again. You can't fix, you can't fix things if you're in the shadows. Well, complacency though is a thing in security. And some are, some are perfectly and, fine. And some are very complacent. Like they're like, I'm getting my, you know, X amount of dollars a month. I'm getting my bonuses. Um, things are quiet. We're dealing with incidents. And as long as that keeps happening, I'm okay. I think some of the the great places would be if you have to sit under someone and you can't report directly to the CEO, legal and risk as um, reporting heads tend to be a better place for um, a CISO as typically they usually challenge the rest of the organization in their practices and um, they're not focused on the availability aspect like uh, a CIO or an, uh, a chief engineering officer might. And right now, people have to understand that, you know, these roles are coming down from the top. The CISO being hired isn't defining where they sit. Like, it's coming from a board, a, a CEO, and down the chain. So when the role shows up, it depends on if that CISO is either seasoned enough, either wanting their first shot and can get in and just wants a, a you know, a step into that space as a CISO, um, or if they're seasoned enough to know, well, I don't want to be layered and buried, like this isn't going to work out. So it's, it's pretty nuanced to, to Naomi's point. Um Okay, and again, it comes it comes down to how well we present ourselves. Like if we don't have executive presence, we don't inspire confidence, 
with other sea level people, they're never going to want to share their power with you because you're just an awkward little tech person. Like you can't speak like the rest of them. They're, you're just embarrassing, right? So they're like, we would rather hi like hire you to do a great job, but we're going to hide you because we don't want you representing the rest of the business. Like, and I've seen that. Yeah. So Knight of Virtue says a valid point, Naomi. So this is Naomi when you were making your points before, but I think it would be valid right now too. A valid point, Naomi, knowing how to communicate with business-minded individuals is a required skill to get your point across, actually. Same point. Um, okay. I know Nathan has a couple points here, but I want to get to... Um, Jeff makes this some, something, says something similar. Sometimes IT can come across a little condescending to someone who doesn't understand tech. Yep. So, you know, when Alan was talking about the nerd, you know, like propeller heads, like everybody, you're just talking <laughs> and people not fully. <laughs> have you not heard that? <laughs> no, 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 I love it. I love the visual. I get that a lot. It must be an NYU thing. <laughs> Maybe. Well, leaders will say, you know, I don't necessarily want a propeller head. Like I need someone that can talk to the business, mm -hmm. that can communicate. And that's this is what we talk about a lot of times. Bye, Chris. Chris has to go. Um, when we talk about... Um, the, the quote unquote soft skills needed for these roles in security. And it's not all, you know, hardcore tech. A lot of it is the communication style, the communication aspect um, and not calling people dumb and being condescending and, you know, Okay, so uh, Merrill says, training the employee to have buy-in as a super, as a user and protecting the company and organization. Um, Nathan, the industry is having an upswing of business and there's a feeding frenzy of sorts. Alan, you want to add in something? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, so buy-in is really, really important. If you go into a meeting and you propose something, it doesn't matter how how good it is, how long you've worked on it. You may have spent two or three weeks coming up with the best idea on the planet. But if you surprise people when you go into the meeting, chances are you get pushback. The magic bullet I've found to avoid some of this is to go around to other people that I know are going to be in this meeting in a couple of weeks and sort of pre-share my ideas with them and let them tell me, oh, okay, well, this is good, but I don't understand this. This sounds dumb. And let me explain these things. And then really consider the feedback before I make the final presentation. There's no better feeling than getting into a meeting with a vice president or a meeting with a C-level uh, executive and you pitch something like this. Hey, uh, look, chief, we're going to have to spend $150,000 on this piece of software and have every other head at the table going like this instead of sitting there looking like this. So as long as you get buy-in, buy-in is not just lateral and above you. Buy-in is people down the chain. I don't know how many times I go into an organization where they have purchased, uh, I, won't, I won't name the name the vendor, but a, a large popular CRM package and 90% of the people whose desktops it's installed on don't know what to do with it. They weren't part of the decision. They don't, uh, they don't engage. And I think that a really good soft skill for a CISO or anybody in information security is to go around to users and say, what am I doing wrong? Okay, if you could, you know, speak freely, 
talk to me off the record. Um, tell me what I can do to improve the way you do your job and then take those comments to heart and factor those in when you are working with a policy committee or anything else because it's really good to have other people yeah you know, hey I, I, it's not just me the ciso saying it hey i've got everybody in the call center saying this is a good idea that's a great position to be able to be in and it's achievable it is sometimes it's, we it's, yes think of it like diplo diplomacy right yeah. None of the big decisions are made by when a president sits with another president. Those are all already done. What they're sitting there and doing is, so what do you, you think of the uh, lunch we just had? Uh, what do you think of that reporter over there, right? She's really irritating, right? Like, <laughs> is that what they're saying? Or he's really irritating. Have you not <laughs> listen to the hot mic between world leaders and you realize mm -hmm. that what they're, they're never talking about policy or anything. They're talking about That's a photo op. Yeah. golf or yeah. soccer or, um, you know, a restaurant or food or something because all the other policy stuff is done by unelected bureaucrats who, you know, sit in those offices. And I think that's, that that's one of the things. So when, when Alan was just saying like, you can't go into a meeting with an idea without letting percolate, I mean, I employ the same thing. We want to, you know, do something with DevOps. Well, we have our DevOps evangelists, like our DevOps champions, go into the DevOps team, get them to look at a few different things, get their buy-in, get them to start pushing it up. Mm -hmm. Then we have lateral talks. And then when I'm with their leader and we're doing, you know, our weekly or monthly meeting or whatever that is, now we're going over some things. And that's part of the agenda of a greater, broader scheme of things because you do have to strategize Mm -hmm. in an organization. And I think a lot of CISOs fail in that strategy aspect. So we're strategizing the NIST framework and the CIS controls and building defense in depth and using really awesome, you know, buzzwords like zero trust and visibility, which is a new buzzword that I absolutely despise, right? Like <laughs> everyone that sends me visibility now is getting invisible from my email inbox. Um, like those, those things that come in there, because people are going like, you know, I, I can solve all of these different things, but we really need to think like diplomats in the way we do security and we got to evangelize. That's why I hired a marketing person for my cyber awareness team, because I need someone who's going to create campaigns about security within the company that are going to be really, really appealing. Genius. It's all about that security culture and that mindset that security yeah. is everyone's responsibility. I know James hates that phrase, but you're right, Alan, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like if we want to get things done, you need to work across teams and build relationships. I think I, I know exactly why security people don't like doing that though. And I will just say it's because they tie their identity so thoroughly to their jobs and they feel like no one else can do their jobs. So they're like, I'm the only person who can do this. I'm the, I'm the security superhero. And they go around doing all the security things, not knowing that they're making their lives a lot harder. And they're unwilling to know that, like, they're unwilling to even feel that other people can understand them. Right? I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's uh, Night of Virtue makes this comment. Sounds like a great point. Promoting your idea to other managers before a meeting can help others buy in and help a CISO clean up their presentation. Mm -hmm. You would think, you know, I'm hearing an echo. You guys hear this echo? Yeah, it's coming from you. Okay, now it is. Okay, so it's fine. you guys can go ahead and keep talking. I have to keep talking. 
<laughs> Wait, what was that? <laughs> no, so here, here's uh, I'll be I'll be a Renee for just a moment. Uh, a Knight of Virtue says, sounds like a great point. Promoting our idea to other managers before a meeting can help others buy in and help us to clean up their presentation. You should be doing that before a board meeting, by the way. Like I meet before a board meeting with every single board member. I want to understand a little, like there's no shame in going to a board member before a meeting and saying, what are some of the concerns you're going to bring up at the board meeting? I'd like to be ready to address them. No one in the board wants to catch you blindly and set you up for failure. But they all have concerns. So understanding from the board, like what are some of the more pressing things? Speaking to the audit committee, if you have one, about what are we looking for this year from a risk perspective? What are some of the things that are really challenging us um, that I can address? And then what are some of our business goals? So when you tie in your presentation to the business, you're going to win every single time. And, and it still mind boggles me that we're having this conversation, like mind boggling. We've been having this conversations for so long. I feel like this is like the fifth remake of the Lion King. I agree. <laughs> and they worse. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like this time, been... like only this time Scar kills Mufasa by just biting him in the back <laughs> of the neck. I mean, there's business 101. Exactly. That's the thing. Like cybersecurity folks don't know that stuff. They're not good at business. And like I do things like not only do I review my deck with my immediate boss, who's the CTO, we go through that deck like three times before I present it to the SLT, to the senior leaders. And then before the meeting, I send a pre-read along with all the notes, all my talking points, all references. So they all have it. So by the time I'm actually presenting it, they should have already read it through or at least i've addressed like most of their major questions before the meeting so i agree yeah. with you james all of this can be done it's easy and the nice thing about it is if you sort of share it with people that are going to be in the meeting both above you and below you they'll help you out if you get a brain block or something like that or somebody else poses a question it's nice to have somebody else answer that question so it looks like everybody's on the same page or you hope everybody already is on the same page, right? So I, I just want to point out something from your 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 uh, op-ed. You talked a little bit about standards and you mentioned NIST and CIS and a bunch of different things that were in there. And, and um, the one thing I will tell you is um, the more you talk about the standards you use, the more your adversaries know how to come at you. Yeah. That's right, like, that's why that's why I use this term and I got ridiculed for using the term holistic. Okay. I like to see people doing different things. I like to see people being creative. I like to see a network guy uh if if you uh see something going on and you see something, you see a large amount of traffic hitting the server and you don't exactly know what it is, gee, wouldn't it be nice if you had permissions to get in there? I'm not talking about willy-nilly giving out administrative credentials, but if you had the position to be able to go in and examine the server and go see what's running on that particular port, see what process is there, go talk to different people. So I'm a big fan of not doing the same thing all the time, because as you correctly point out, James, if you do the same thing all the time, all I have to do is win once. You got to win all the time. And so if you're changing things around, doing things a little bit different, involving different people, making making changes and trying to trying to pursue information security, 
smarter with more buy-in leveraging the culture that you should be leveraging i think you hedge your bets and keep your company off of the front page of the ap news yeah um comments now we, i feel like we're both echoing <laughs> First time, Night of Virtue says, first time catching this podcast, and I feel very informed thanks to all of the construction constructive discussion. However, the CISO position sounds like it has a lot of politics to deal with. Welcome to the role of a CISO. Yes, sir. <laughs> people, people say like, James, I think we did this like a few months ago on the show, right? Like someone asked me to go, what's your SIM product? And I was like, I have no clue and I don't really care. Like I could give a rat's tail what SIM product we use in my my, so I don't have time for it. I got to play politics across my entire organization all day long. I'm an ambassador. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to quit reading Nathan's comments because I'm just laughing. I think he has some, <laughs> some of the best place comments I've ever seen. <laughs> he, he does. He was uh, very engaged. I'll read them all at once when we get to them. So Marla says... Um, when we were talking about the presentation decks, she says, I come from the military background. We have pre-meetings before having the big meetings so that we're all on the same page and that uh, we, we go, go through, it. through it to make sure I can pronounce the word, to have a story or have a backup in the room, you know, just practice. It's like standard operating procedure. Uh, and Merle continues to say meetings on meetings. Yep. Lots of politics. Um, and, Knight says, I'm not signing up. He doesn't want to be a CISO anymore. <laughs> you know, when people tell me I want to be a CISO, I, I look at them and I seriously ask them, I go, why? So you've got to have a really good reason. It's, a, it's almost like wanting to run for president or Congress or Senate, right? Like, why do you want to subject yourself to yeah. that kind of so you don't know what it is. People think that CISO means that you're king of the nerds. Like that's what it is. Like, oh, I've reached yeah, no, the top. No, you're I'm not. You have no idea. It's like a whole different track. Like, oh my God. It's so funny, especially being a recruiter. Like I have these awesome one-on-one -on -one conversations and the junior people want to be CISOs. And a lot of the CISOs are like, how can I get out? <laughs> what can I, else can I get into? It's so, so funny. Um, okay, so... Merle says she has a poker face. Okay, let's go to some of Nathan's comments. Nathan has some really good comments around here. Um, he talks about nonviolent communications, how it helps a lot. Oh, Merle, this was a great comment too. If we stop thinking us versus them in the same company. Can we do that in the same country, same community, same society, same yeah. industry? Could Just we? Same, within <laughs> the, same, the uh. same department within the same company. Yeah, could we? I mean, have, if, if we just a, stop thinking us, you know, that's why I think that we should boycott every Hollywood movie that goes something versus something. Mm. Here's a good cancel culture move. Cancel any movie title with verses. Well, unless it's the alien. U.S. versus the CP, CCP, then that's okay. <laughs> except for Alien versus Predator. Uh, I don't like no, that. No, no, no. I want to cancel yeah. all verses. Yeah, all verses. Yeah, unless it's, it's, it's versus the CCP, then, then that's okay. Free Hong Kong. Free Hong Kong. <laughs> Alan has raised the issue of staff being unreachable and the rest of the company not willing to, quote, deal with them. Wouldn't the leader of security staff be responsible for helping the security team be more accessible and better at communicating? I'm trying to see who, where this comment came from. Yeah, Alan makes a great point. Yes, sometimes we are a little siloed. Sometimes we 
just hide. Um, and that's that's part of us being the problem again. That's not our business folks. Like they want to talk to us, but we make ourselves so inaccessible or unapproachable. So uh, my suggestion is to the security teams, make some core values for your team. Like my core values for my team is ARR. We're the cash money pirates. R, right? So we're we're approachable. We're reliable. <laughs> Stop making fun of us. We have core values. Approachable, reliable, and resourceful. A-R-R, you know, Kurt really John, cash. Kurt John, uh, the C- CSO, uh, CISO over at Siemens has a great little mission statement behind him. And I've written it down and I don't have it with me. It's in my office because I actually copied it off of Kurt. But he's got like four words that are essentially the standard to everything he expects his team to do. It's fantastic. And, and isolation, isolation is, is, is really sort of a sort of a uh, a descent into hell almost because it's a it's sort of a it's sort of one of these things that just continues you isolate because people don't want to deal with you and then people don't want to deal with you even more so you isolate yourself even more and these are CISOs really need to hedge their bet. They need to spend time out of the box. They need to spend time thinking, who have I not talked to? Uh, have I spent enough time in the call center? Have I, uh, have I uh, uh, talked with people? Have I, have I listened to other people say, wow, you know, I mean, these guys hate seeing you walk through the cubes because they know you're going to come punish somebody. How can you turn that situation around and get collaborators? How can you get people who normally just keep their head down because they don't want to deal with you? They would rather you be in isolation. Uh, How can you turn those people into champions that work with you and ensure your success? Not only ensure your success, but ensure the success of the mission to protect the firm. I would say sometimes you can't. Yeah, I, I think the the idea of protecting the business um, is is a bit almost um, heroic and superhero in in, in, in version, and and a lot of times that's where we lose battles in yeah. in the corporation when we start talking about you know defending because we set an uh, unrealistic expectation that it's yeah. a it's a it's a back and forth and it's the constant battle. I think if we if 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 we just standardize KPIs and are able to establish a a baseline perimeter to security and its performance and we're able to start become better business people like I think every CISO should have a business degree or course at some point in their life um you know, and if you're not doing that, I think, um, what is it, a night of virtue? I think you could be a very good CISO one day if you go and get a, if you take a few business classes, if you understand what does it mean to be a CMO, what does it mean to be a CFO, what does it mean to be a chief, a CRO, chief revenue officer, chief strategy officer, chief uh, CIO, a CTO. Um, if, if you're able to understand those parts of the business and a CEO as well, um, 
then you can do very well and find mentors that are beyond security people. Like I tell everyone who I mentor, I'm like, I can be your CISO and I can mentor you there, but you should go probably hook up with a CTO or a CFO or a or someone who helps you understand the business aspect of it as well, because you, you know, I can only take you so long, so far uh, until you understand how industry really operates. Right. Nathan says making seatbelts and airbags a standard in a car was also a struggle and took a fight to bring into the automotive industry. That's only because of the cost. The companies didn't want to pay the cost for seatbelts. It's actually a well-documented story. The only reason the car companies didn't want to put seatbelts in cars wasn't because of safety is because they were worried it was going to make cars um, inexpensive and put them out of the um, uh, out, of, out of a price range for specific consumers. True story. Look it up. I mean, I believe you, but so would dead drivers. You're not going to be buying cars when you're dead from a car accident. So True, but back then people were dying from car accidents. It was completely normal. By the way, back then people were dying from the flu. That was also completely normal true. and the cold. And that was completely normal as well. You know, today, if someone dies from the flu, we go, he died from the flu? I know, that's a you know, I just I want know. to point out that in 2020, zero people died from the flu. Thanks, masks. Yeah, they work. Yeah. yeah. Masks work, yeah. Well, it's all about capitalism and profit. Like, did you hear about the colonial pipeline? The reason why they paid the ransomware is to get their billing systems back online because they didn't want to, like, people to take gas without paying for it. So, uh-huh. like, people had accidents. So they filled up their cars with gas and then they put the buckets and stuff you know, the open containers with gasoline. And you know how many people died because of that? There are like a a few people who died because colonial pipelines decided to lock out their systems so people couldn't get free gas. Are you kidding me? Well, it's not so people couldn't get free gas. It's that all the gas stations down the line couldn't take free gas. I mean, but, but, but that's, that's a, um, um, so, so that's a media problem. Right. Had the media said they they're they're shutting down the pipeline, not because the pipeline's at risk, but because the system that's under ransom is their billing system and they can't bill. It's like toilet paper when covid lockdown happened, like people went and were buying like I saw pickup trucks full of toilet paper, like the scarcity mindset. I know it's but people died because of these decisions that the colonial team made. Like, think about that. People died from this. And, and then again, so you can blame Colonial for that, or you can blame people who used plastic bags I mean, to fill gasoline. Some people are just helpless. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing <laughs> the as I know people out. today who haven't bought toilet paper in over a year. I know some people They're actually won't be buying for another two or three. Yeah, like I'm like, you should have bought Bitcoins, man. <laughs> So I think toilet paper has a shelf life, right? So I think I think it I think some of it's going to go bad. Does it? So they're going to have to buy in a year. I don't think. Does it has toilet a shelf paper life? have a shelf life? No. I, I thought toilet. I'll paper tell had you, a man. I've life. been on airplanes where I hoped toilet paper had a shelf life because that yeah. stuff was like sandpaper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. More comments. Kareen says, uh, a car maker, so she's saying exactly to you, James. Car maker named Tucker had tons of safety features in Detroit, ran him out of town. Uh, Boom. Mic drop. Mic yeah, drop. Capitalism Great. kills people. That's it, son. It's all <laughs> oh, yeah. about the Benjamins, baby. 
if we could put like you know Biggie right here, it's all about the. Business. I mean, I love. I mean, I will say capitalism's done a really good thing. Like America, best society ever. But we're now in this place where there's such wealth inequality that people are like scrambling over the little tiny scraps that the corporations are leaving us, and companies like Amazon pay zero dollars in federal taxes every year. Like that to me feels really wrong. There's got to be something wrong here. Anyway, sorry. You know what's you know what's wrong. You know what's wrong is the fact that we can't get one government or one organization to create enough deterrence to lower the amount of cybersecurity incidents we go through. We have zero deterrence. Zero. Well, Zilch, and part of that. Nava. Part of that is incentivized. Part of that's incentivized by class action lawsuits, right? I mean, uh, you uh, you create an industry that goes out and and files class action lawsuits with the eye on getting attorney's fees and everybody else gets a, you know, gets a, gets a coupon for a year of free credit monitoring service or something like that. If, uh, you know, I, so, so we wade kind of into the, into the political here, but there you was get to write a, your op-ed in the hill. That's about the most political publication yep. possible oh, yeah. to write an op-ed. I, I should have had my head examined when they you said. You should have had your head examined. But I like the hill. I like the hill. Yeah, it's fun yeah. to it's fun to read. But if you look at it, there was a piece of research that was published. I think it was a year or two ago, and I tried to find it. And of course, when you try to find a piece of re- research, you can't find it. The number $2,600 kind of sticks in my mind, which is the average cost that someone in their 20s, or that's the average cost of having their personal information breached. So if you find a company $2,600 per breached record, uh, that, you know... if you put something like that, that was a little bit more standard, as I say, we're getting way into politics here. These are these are uh, things no, for uh, people with cybersecurity. Listen, you wrote money. your op-ed. You wrote your op-ed on the heels of a colonial pipeline incident yes. that had political implications yep. in our country. It had yes. political implications because one third of the country had fuel insecurity. Yep. Now. You had people run out and get it, but one third of the country isn't even dug when, what is it, like one out of every five kids has food insecurity? Or is it three out of five kids have food insecurity today in our country? So when you run out and you buy a bunch of Twinkies and you decide to throw them away, you know, there's some kids that can't or have never tasted a Twinkie because their parents can't afford to get them one. So just think of that for just a moment, right? Um, the, The colonial pipeline attack brought up a bunch of political discussions. And now, you know, you've got you know, people who understand nothing about anything wanting to create all these different pipeline security regulations that mean nothing. It's just another set of compliance that increases the cost of doing business. And that cost is going to go to who? To you, Alan, to me, to Naomi and to Renee, because our fuel costs are going to go up because they're going to start charging an extra two cents a gallon, right? To deal with compliance. And that's a problem, right? Our, what our government needs to do is say, okay, you want to do a ransomware attack on our critical infrastructure? You've just We're going to create a deck of cards like we did when we were hunting down the uh, uh, Al-Qaeda, right? 
and you're gonna and we're gonna give that deck of cards to people all over the world and we're gonna put a five million dollar bounty on your head and a ten million dollar bounty on your head and we're gonna hunt you down with the best department of justice the money can buy and we're gonna deploy our fbi and cia and nsa resources and we're gonna hunt you to the death of the earth you better go find a mansion in pakistan and hide there because that's about the only place you can hide for a long period of time before we bring your right here to the u.s and oh, face justice out, for what James. you did yeah. Because that's the only way you're going to put you a stop attack the to criminals. This. You got to attack the criminals. You got to go after them. Gotta and we as them. organizations yeah. can't yeah. do it. Yeah, you're right. I can, if I do it, if I go after someone who breaches my network and I hack them back, I face jail time yep. for computer it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. Make so it folks, make sense. We are at the one hour mark and we knew that this was going to be a lively conversation. And it has been. Um, and it has been. So unfortunately, we can't get through all the rest of these comments. Naomi had to run. Alan, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank this you. Awesome. Yes, Alan, thank you. Thank you for writing an op-ed that brought about a discussion. And sorry for all the personal and unprofessional attacks from a lot of practitioners. I, on behalf of all of them, would like to apologize. They don't represent all of us. There's a lot of good people here who enjoy other opinions so we've got a good discussion going how long is the good discussion going to keep going as long That's... as the new cycle is fresh yes right. exactly as long we, as someone we, still makes money off of next... colonial right right the moment we people gotta, stop making money off of it discussion more and more yeah the the, the moment pe st people stop to make money off of it, it it's it's no longer interesting yep can we answer this question? Yeah, I think it's wrap it all up. So Arturo says, good afternoon. What specific preventive preventative procedures or guidelines would have been appropriate to better prevent the colonial pipeline hack? Thank you. So, so can I can I take this one? So please? yeah, I so I've uh I've I've actually uh you know geeks do a lot of things uh, as everybody points out uh I'm I'm a scuba instructor. I'm also a pilot, and I get asked, "Where is the safest place to sit in an airplane?" And I always answer that with, "Well, tell me what kind of accident you're going to have, and I'll tell you where to sit." Right? And it's <laughs> it's sort of the it's sort of the same thing. We don't really know all of the ingredients that went into the Colonial Pipeline hack, and we're not likely to find them out absent uh, absent court action, right? I mean, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and something will get put in a court filing or, you know, somebody will expose a deposition or something like that. But, uh, you know, I guess the, the best way to answer that question is, oh, just don't let it happen. So oh, how'd it happen? I don't know. We, we, we know it's a ransomware attack. Um, yeah. we, we know that the ransomware attack itself was not targeting the pipeline operations. They didn't target OT, they targeted IT. We know right. that and what they targeted in the IT was the billing system, meaning it was predominantly financial. They were yep. hoping to be able to get quick ransom and put together the restoration without having the major impact that it did. And that's why dark side has gone dark. Right, because essentially now they're being no, they're 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 you know persona non grata almost anywhere and everywhere, 
And again, yeah. that's that's part of you know going after the the the, the criminals who, who who do these types of attacks. Yeah. I will tell yeah, you I that based on some of the stuff I've seen, and I've been privy to some stuff. It's just bad IT management. Yeah, and you, you got to look for the you got to look for the anomalies on the network. You got to look for the stuff that you can't explain. You you have to you have to look at the network in context. You know, what should be going on? Wow, you know how how come it's taking so long? Because they had someone with a liberal arts degree server. doing it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I was going to say today about liberal arts humorous this is so funny no liberal arts today um, so Alan inside joke ever, or you know now not inside now it's not yeah. now it's not James talks about liberal arts degrees every single every week um, and as we were talking about the um, the communication style I was going to bring up the liberal arts degree folks have you know they have that down pat they understand how to learn, how to communicate, all of right. that. They also know how to draw and, you know, share <laughs> feelings and it's all wonderful and great. That's um, right. But, but <laughs> it, it, <laughs> look, look, Mr. Ransomware hacker. I get it. I get it, Mr. Threat Actor. You know, oh you want to hold us at ransom, but $5 million, listen, I'll give you a million and four drawings. They're really nice. <laughs> it, yeah. They can negotiate. Someday they'll be worth money. Yeah. You know, you can NFT these. And if you put them in NFTs, (laughs) you know, they might end up being worth some money later. There you go. So, folks, this is the NFC. So, Thursdays, thank you so, so much, Alan Gwynn, for being on with us today. Thank you, James Azar, for being who you are. Naomi Buckwalter. (laughs) For being who she is. (laughs) for bringing all who you are, bringing this wonderful conversation to the table um, and having this open dialogue. Like this is the reason why we're here to have these open dialogues, answer questions and, and debate. So this was awesome. Thank you so much. The folks that are on um, YouTube, go and follow us. Thank you, Humorous Tumorous. And the other folks that are on YouTube, please, 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 everybody else, go follow us on YouTube. We will do an update with 221 and 2021. More people have been hired, so we'll do that soon. And um, everyone have a great- And next week, Dutch will be with us. And next week, we'll have Dutch with us. That's right. Dutch is back next week. So next Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern, with Dutch. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And um wonderful time out. No, 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 no. Don't insult the service members. Memorial weekend is not a Memorial weekend is not a wonderful time for anyone who's donned the uniform of the United States Armed Services. Memorial Day is a time when we remember the men and women who went to battle, went to fight for this nation over its 200 and some odd year history and never made it home. And their families carry that void and that loss each and every single day. And so Monday is a day where we remember those folks. We honor them and we take time in somberness, not in a woohoo, like capitalism has made this some sort of celebration. It is not. It's a day where we need to be somber and remember the many men and women who went to battle and did not come home. And so... If you're by a VFW, if you see a service member in uniform this weekend, you know, thank say you thank you. Service. That's all they want to hear, right? That's thank all that's all service. anyone wants to hear is thank you. Um, 
I'll be doing a challenge on Monday, FYI. So I'm going to be doing 22 push-ups um, on the ocean. That's 22 a day. That's 22 service members a day that commit suicide. Um, that's a pandemic in our country. There's no timer on CNN or NBC for it. These are people who volunteer and go out and don the uniform. And they um, and and then they come back and they don't get the help they need. And they're neglected. And that's why I did the Wounded Warrior fundraiser. You get That fundraiser is still available and open to please go donate um, to the Wounded Warrior Project. You can find that on Tiltify. If you go to Tiltify.com and look up the CISO Talk Paisley Shirt Challenge, you can find it there and still donate to the Wounded Warrior Project. Every $150 that you donate gives service members with PTSD um, uh, some sort of therapy. And yeah, thank you for that. John and uh, Marley, thank you for your service as well. Yeah, visit a military funeral, go to the military cemetery, buy some flowers, even if it's one single rose, and just go put them there or, or you know, have your kids draw the American flags and go buy a bunch of small American flags from Hobby Lobby um, and go put them at, at the graves of some of these brave men and women. Um, um, it's, it's very difficult for me to be in Israel for this Memorial Weekend. Um, cause I am typically with my brothers and sisters who we served with and we, we go and we do a, a roundabout and we visit a lot of the families. And, um, this year I don't get to do that, unfortunately, because of a family commitment I had here in Israel. Um, but I will be with them. I'll be doing 22 pushups on Monday, uh, the mission 22 challenge, 22 pushups for 22 a day. Um, and then I'll be, uh, jumping into the ocean water, uh, re- reminding everyone that, uh, that there are veterans that um, need help. And so uh, I'll be taking on a challenge as well. 22, um, go do it. Donate, yeah, to Veteran Programs, Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, There's a bunch of Gold Star families um, that do need help. Um, Go volunteer at the VA. Go to a local VFW. Um, Give up your first class seat on a flight over the weekend to a veteran. Uh, (laughs) If you're flying first. And, 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 and give them some comfort as they're going home for, for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, and they are, they're often flown in the cheapest class uh, with the cheapest seats. And if you see a soldier in the middle aisle, that's because that's how much our government feels worthy of their service. So help them out. Thank you for that, James. All right, folks. It's been fun. It has Let's been do it again fun. sometime. Let's keep the dialogue going. Yeah. I agree. Let's keep the dialogue going. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And um, we will see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.